when we introduce you and you just heard me, I talk about that you and the AM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters. And before we sink into the meat of something that you wrote and also of other information and the topic this hour, I want to say, Scott, that more and more I'm seeing people talk about trade, bad trade deals, and it would seem that the American voter is more aware of, more passionate about, and has definitely more opinions, and it's become a very emotionally charged issue, uh, with regard to trade. And I have to say that you and the AAM, I think, are, are a part of that. So when you work to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters, you are, and you have, because I'm seeing that on Twitter, on Facebook, hearing it with people calling in and emails, LinkedIn, uh, the list goes on. Um, so I just commend you and the AAM for that. I just wanted to point that out. I'm seeing stuff on trade Every single day. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, sometimes you need a spark, you know, to start the fire. But I think that, you know, it's, it's the American people who have really responded to this. I mean, you consider voters, both in the Democratic and the Republican primaries, uh, you know, consumers are making more demands. And so as a result, you see more companies offering some Made in America choices. I mean, they're not overwhelming yet, but you see, uh, you you definitely see a, a trend towards it. Um, and so, I think that's a credit to kind of the, the common sense economics that all of us have, uh, uh, rather than what uh, you know what what the what, what the self-anointed experts may tell us what what's really best for us, right? So, yep, yep. I think people are taking matters into their own hands, uh, and it is making a difference. And thank you for giving voice to it, Leslie. Appreciate it. You have written a, a piece, it's a very good piece, uh, entitled The Real Life Toll Trade is Taken on Some American Communities. It has political consequences, too. This is an election year. And trade, specifically free trade, is certainly a hot topic. And you talk about that. You talk about and, and, and reference back to 2012. And you talk about this election year of 2016 and how it feels different. Can you tell folks listening, how does 2016 feel different in this campaign year with regard to free trade? Sure. And I, I, I don't want to sound like Captain Obvious because, of, <laughs> of course, it's a different election cycle. It is the probably the most um, dramatic and dynamic uh, and interesting uh, and, and in some respects terrifying uh, one that we've seen uh, since, you know, the 1970s. Uh, and so, and, and you, so you have to go back a ways. Uh, and, and I think part of it is just this uh, notion that people are feeling really anxious uh, about, um, uh, about their future. Uh, more than anything else, because the unemployment rate is relatively low, uh, although it's not as, you know, we haven't done as well in creating manufacturing jobs. Uh, but but there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of anxiety about the, about the future and also this sense that, uh, you know, that some of the optimism that some people may have had after the Great Recession, um, you know, has, has, has been tempered. Uh, quite a bit, and you see it, uh, you know, on on the right certainly, uh, and and you see it in the in the Democratic primary, uh, and it's having really 
profound consequences uh, as as we you know as, as we move forward here. And I think it's worth thinking about some of the you know some of the underlying causes. Uh, of all of that to to help explain more than that there's there's this guy who's a big showman who has a, you know a couple million twitter followers and who is profane uh, and obnoxious and condescending and uh, has really dangerous ideas uh, who is one of the the, the candidates that everybody is going to see on their on their ballot uh, come november um, i mean there is a there's definitely a reason beyond all of that, uh, why why he's there, and also why is there, why there's this fierce competition of ideas uh, on the Democratic side that's uh, extended uh, now, uh, and it will be into into June coming coming tomorrow. Interesting, and you just talk about ideas. Um, one of the things with Donald Trump is um, that you know he's saying that we have bad trade deals, and I, I wanted your take on this because one, you know, he he talks about bad trade deals. And he talks about how bad trade and, and, you know, bad trade deals can certainly hurt America, our economy, the American worker. But he doesn't say how he would fix this. He, and, and this is a problem he has with other areas of his platform. Um, but with regard to trade, you know, t- I'm wondering, do you resent that, in a sense, trade is being used, it would seem, by this candidate, Donald Trump, perhaps, um, to get that working class voter um, who he feels that he could perhaps steal away from Bernie Sanders, um, who he does very uh, well with, uh, even some of those uh, union workers who may not support Hillary Clinton. Um, but it's all a soundbite, and there's not really a, a plan behind it, A. And B, this guy has benefited from bad trade deals and has products of his own made in Mexico and China and has outsourced jobs and been a part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you just hit it right there. Is that I, I often look to you know what people do rather than what they say, uh, and it's easy to say that you want to change things up with China. Uh, uh, Barack Obama said that in 2008. Mitt Romney said it in 2012, um, and uh, you know Rom, uh, Trump is saying it uh, this time around. But but it's what you do, uh, I think that 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 matters a whole lot, and. Uh, I don't think Trump has ever gone out of his way in his commercial construction to buy American. Uh, in fact, he I've heard him complain about how expensive he thinks some of, of the American inputs like glass are, for instance. Um, and, and you pointed out his clothing line. You know, there's lots of successful, really great-looking uh, business kind of clothes, you know, country club kind of clothes that are manufactured in the United States, but somehow Donald Trump, didn't figure out a way to do it, or was too greedy to do it, and and outsourced it to uh, to China and Mexico. And, and so you do have. I mean, the interesting thing on the policy front, Leslie, is is that you know his uh, his, his his policy pages are, are pretty sparsely populated. Uh, he does have a section on China and trade, and he's like, I'm going to negotiate better deals. I'm going to get us out of some deals, um, and I'm going to change it up. And, and the the you know the the sense you get is like, trust this guy. He's going to negotiate a great deal for America, and it's not. I mean, this is really hard work, uh, and it's easy to have a soundbite, uh, but to have policies that are going to really affect change, um, that, t- that takes a lot of doing. Uh, and and I, I, haven't, I haven't seen any of that yet. 
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Scott. We'll talk more about his article and other items here in this hour. And feel free to join us. Um, You know, for those of you, maybe that does appeal to you, the message with regard to trade, bad trade deals, and you want, you know, more uh, manufacturing here in the United States. You want more factories here. You want jobs brought back or created here. We hear you. We want to hear from you, especially in this election year. And are you more mindful and concerned about trade in an election year if you search your soul as a voter? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Pick up the phone and join us. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM. The website is AmericanManufacturing.org. Quick break. Back to Scott and you right after this. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets. Call us at 888-6-LESLIE. Back in a moment. Talking about an article he wrote, The Real Life Told Trade is Taken on Some American Communities. It has political consequences, too. Um, Scott, thank you for holding a welcome back. We're talking about the difference in 2016, not just with regard to candidates and how different for 2012, but with regard to trade. Um, is it odd <laughs> to hear Republican or the Republican presumptive nominee saying, you know, trade bad, these trade deals bad, and Democratic president having signed uh, a bad trade deal um, and looking at other bad trade deals. Uh, yeah, I mean, ha- have roles reversed in a sense in this election, or at least does lip service seem to give credence to that? It's a really great question. And the reversal is quite stunning, at least based on the rhetoric of the candidates. So you consider that uh, in this election cycle, you have uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump all who have kind of criticized Chinese trade practices, they all say they're against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is the pending free trade agreement that would um, include the United States and about 11 other countries, including Japan, Vietnam, and our, our NAFTA partner countries and a few others. Uh, and just a few years ago, you had a Republican and Democratic consensus on these trade deals. You had Bill Clinton working with a Republican Congress that had just tried to impeach him <laughs> to, to pass the China trade bill, uh, and, and, and they got it done. Um, and, and, and so it was, you know, you had, you know, there was virtually different, no difference between Al Gore and George W. Bush when it came to trade. Uh, and so it's been interesting to see this, this really 180-degree Reversal, and I like to think of it this way, Leslie. It's like the, the the politicians have finally caught up to kind of the base of of both parties, um, and you know they're feeling uh, whether they're in red states or blue states. Uh, this you know these factory closures uh, and this manufacturing job losses, and they've seen what's happened in the communities around them, and 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 these communities haven't recovered. Uh, and so they are searching for answers, um, and some of them arrive at different conclusions about what they are. But it's had a it's had a really profound impact uh, on on both the politics and the policy uh, for 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 the re- the candidates who are remaining uh, before the American voters right now. You um, wrote in your piece how Americans are distrustful of trade. Do you think that Americans are more distrusting of trade? And free trade in 2016, and if so, why? I think they certainly are. And uh, some of it, I think, has to do with what they see happening uh, in the communities around them. And there's really compelling 
evidence that's not only anecdotal. And I know, Leslie, you've spent time in Buffalo and even in Los Angeles. You know, you see what happens when factories close and the kind of pain that that brings not only to the factory workers and their families, but also you think about it to the restaurants that the workers used to to, to flood into, uh, to the hardware stores, to the tax base of the communities. And what economists have discovered is that this isn't a temporary impact. It becomes almost a permanent impact, and these workers are resigned to earning less over their over the over the rest of their lives, uh, and you know that has impacts for the, for the rest of us too. Uh, and when you add all of that together, any of this theoretical you know uh, societal welfare benefit that you get out of lower prices from imported goods is completely washed away from the loss of the revenue base, the loss of these wages, the lasting impact in these communities, uh, and, and it's not such a great deal. So, so yeah, you see, and, and why are people uh, rising up right now? Because they don't see Washington responding. They see President Obama wanting to move forward with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. They see Republicans wanting to do it with him in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, they're kind of fed up with where the establishment is on all of this. Um, let's talk about the past 15 years, and, and you talk uh, about 15 years since uh, 2000 when the United States was led by a Democrat in the White House but had a Republican-controlled Congress, to your point just now, how we had normalized trade relations with China. And now the U.S. trade deficit with China's ballooned. The United States has lost roughly 6 million of its 18 million manufacturing uh, jobs. Um, that's more than a third and approaches too, too close to half. And those jobs, as you talk about, are, are these voters that we're you know, hearing a lot of anger and passion with regard to free trade from. And that's uh, people who have middle-income families and earn middle-income wages or did earn middle-income wages. And um, these are people that maybe couldn't afford to go to college or maybe academics wasn't their strong point, but they're incredible with their hands working in a field like manufacturing. Um, so that people understand how did this happen in 15 years, and what does the next 15 years hold if we don't do something about it? Wait a minute. I'm going to have you hold that answer, Scott, because we have 45 seconds to break, and that's I want to hear that answer, and I know everybody listening does. When we return, we'll get that answer from Scott, and we'll take your calls at 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Your tweets, follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets throughout the hour. Scott can be followed at Scott Paul AAM, and the website for the AAM is American Manufacturing. Org. We're talking about free trade. Are you passionate about it? Does it scare you? Does it anger you? And is it one of your big three issues as a voter in the election year of 2016? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Back after this. President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing talking about an article he wrote, The Real Life Toll Trade is Taken on Some American Communities. It has political consequences, too. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I asked you before the break about the 15 years since uh, 2000, and now the U.S. trade deficit with China's ballooned. America's lost roughly 6 million of its 18 million manufacturing jobs, and those are jobs that paid middle-class families middle-income wages, 
And largely the people who were in these jobs were not people who went to college and had a four-year degree. Explain to us how this happened and what is ahead of us, do you say, in the next 15 years, if we don't pay more attention to and actually address, not just with lip service, uh, this issue of free trade and bad, bad trade deals? It's a, it's a great question, and uh, the, the the policy change has had a profound impact on our economy. Um, so we decided in 2000 to uh, end an annual review of China's trade status. And uh, what that essentially did was lock into place really low tariffs for any imports coming from China, um, regardless of what the Chinese government did, uh, and, and really regardless of if they honored their own trade obligations to us. And that set a, a flood of jobs uh, to, to China. And it's everything from semiconductors to clothing. So I don't want folks just to think that it's just the, the lower-skilled jobs that, that's competing with uh, lower, lower labor rates. There's, there were a lot of factors that went into this. Uh, but as, as you pointed out, during that same period, Leslie, you know, we lost a third of our manufacturing jobs in the United States. Uh, we, we endured two recessions uh, that, that impacted manufacturing. Um, and it was the steepest decline we've seen in manufacturing jobs uh, in, in a lot of ways even steeper than the Great Depression. Uh, and the challenge has been is that they just aren't coming back. The rest of the private sector has more than recovered all the jobs that were lost uh, during the Great Recession. Uh, but manufacturing uh, is, is only about 40% of the way back. And, and it's not because people aren't buying things in the United States. It, it, it has more to do with trade. Uh, and it has more to do with that, that policy decision. And, and again, what, what I think academics who have looked at this uh, now understand after looking at all this evidence over the last 15 years uh, is that the low prices that theoretically came from this trade with China uh, do not make up for the loss of wages uh, and income and the profound and lasting effect this has on communities uh, across the United States of America. And, and I agree with you. And on top of that, um, you cite uh, two companies in your piece, Walmart and Target, uh, that are, you say, by economists uh, commonly cited as examples of cheaper consumer goods. But, Scott, if you're not making a decent wage and you're buying a cheaper good that's made more cheaply, and you have to buy four or five of them throughout the year instead of one that will last for years, you're at a double deficit. You're at a deficit in wages and then a deficit for how much as a consumer you have to spend on something that's poorly made because it's made overseas without the regulations, without the training, uh, the background, and quite frankly the quality that American manufacturing made in America products have had and continue to have for years. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is called, ironically, a positive feedback loop, even though it's in no way really positive for the, the people that are involved. But uh, it has led to an economy where uh, it, it's all about uh, the, the, the cheap goods, the bargain, the disposable goods, as a matter of fact. Uh, and, it's, and, and what people have done, because they're generally getting paid less, uh, uh, and, and wages, real wages have, have not kept up um, with prices and, and uh, over the last 15 years, uh, is that they're dipping into savings uh, or they're, they're going into debt. 
um, or, or they're leveraging their house. And we saw the catastrophic impact that that had during the Great, the great Recession. Uh, but we are a country that, uh, and, and let's set aside the, the, the federal debt here, uh, but, you know, where we have a lot of student debt, we have a lot of other debt, and, and that's how we're trying to make up for these lost wages. And, uh, you know, that it doesn't take a genius to, to figure out that that's not a sustainable strategy either. Uh, if we get wages up, uh, if, we're, if we're making more of what we're uh, buying right here, uh, there, that, that's another kind of positive feedback loop that would indeed, be beneficial uh, for our economy and that would help to bring some of those jobs back uh, and also uh, restore some of that quality uh, that you talked to that people really do like uh, when, it, when you get right down to it, Leslie. Um, you know, you also, you know, we've just touched upon earlier Donald Trump, who does not practice what he preaches. Um, and before we move on to uh, other uh, issues within this uh, China trade outsourcing and jobs issue, the voters that are skeptical of trade have reason to be skeptics, obviously. Um, they're also angry. And, and you agree and, and feel that they are right in both their anger and their skepticism and, and understand it and, and that it's only going to get worse in elections that, that go ahead unless something is done, correct? I think that's absolutely right because they don't see a response. Uh, and if you're progressive, one of the responses includes, well, we need to build a social safety net to make sure that people can uh, have some adjustment, have some transition, and make sure that their, their families aren't going to fall into homelessness or poverty or a cycle of, of where, they're, where they're completely dependent on disability payments or food stamps or, or what have you. Uh, and, and that's a different model. Than, than we have right now, and you know some of the the you know the the more the right the right wing economic nationalists are like, well, let's build a wall, let's shut out all the imports, uh, and it, it kind of feeds into that. And not only is this me talking, I mean, again, some uh, some researchers looked at the impact that that Chinese imports had on voting patterns uh, in areas that were especially impacted, uh, where they saw a lot of factory closures, and they came to the conclusion that. Uh, Areas that have seen factory closures because of Chinese imports have had more polarized politics than the rest of the country. Uh, and so it, it is, that, that's a pretty shocking revelation. So it's more than just about the Koch brothers or campaign finance, and all of these issues are important, uh, but, but the, the trade issue has, has actually, it seems, has helped in some way. Uh, to impact voting patterns, uh, and has, it has made our politics more polarized. It's harder for Washington to get something done. Uh, and then you see certainly on the right what it's done uh, to their primary, uh, where you end up with, uh, with Donald Trump, uh, who has incredibly, incredibly extreme views. With regard to trade with China, outsourcing and, and those jobs that we've outsourced, the growing U.S. trade deficit with China cost 3.2 million jobs between 2001 and 2013. And here is something you had said. 2.4 million manufacturing jobs were lost due to trade with China between 2001 and 13, accounting for 75% of all jobs lost to China. Every state and congressional district but one has lost net job opportunities since China joined the World Trade Organization. The trade deficit in the computer and electronic parts industry grew the most. That resulted and more than 1.2 million jobs lost or displaced. And you said, quote, the nation's staggering trade deficit with China continues to be the single biggest impediment to a true jobs recovery. And I don't think people and economists uh, certainly don't like to, to talk about that, um, especially people who point fingers at labor reports and, and, and don't like 
um, the numbers that they're seeing or say they're not good enough, this is a big reason why, right? It's a huge reason why. I just talked to workers last week from steel mills uh, that have been shut down exactly because of this reason, because of the uh, the, 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 the imports coming in from, from China, uh, and they've, they've driven the prices down into basement, uh, and they've made it so it's, it's, you know, there's no way to run a steel mill profitably and pay the workers uh, in the United States uh, in many of these parts. And so this is outside of St. Louis. Uh, it's outside of Pittsburgh. It, it's outside of Cleveland. It's down in Texas uh, and Alabama. Uh, so it's hitting a, a, a lot of the country, and it is, you know, they're just not feeling it. Uh, and, and you see that. And it's not – so when everybody is like, well, why, why does Bernie Sanders keep talking about this? Or why does Donald Trump keep talking about this? It's, it's not a mystery. Uh, people are feeling real pain. They don't see Washington responding to it. And they are desperately, desperately searching for answers. Uh, no question about that. Um, do you feel, Scott, that we are producing poverty and eliminating a middle class because uh, this is the cost to our public of low-wage production jobs in manufacturing? I, I think that it is a that we're on a on a really dangerous path, and uh, I have I, I just want to say that I think it that all work has dignity, but. The United States is not going to continue to be a great nation with a great middle class if we're completely dependent on, you know, on increasing jobs in things like the re- the restaurant and bar sector. I I want that sector to do well, but it, but it's it's never been the foundation of a strong or sustainable economy. You really need a lot of the middle class jobs. Some of them are in the service sector, uh, but many of them are in the manufacturing sector. And, and Leslie, you mentioned this uh, earlier in the hour, that for, for, for those Americans who don't think that a four-year college degree is for them, uh, but they have some skills, they want to work with their hands, a manufacturing job in the past was a pathway to the American dream. And so you think of the millions of opportunities uh, that have been foreclosed now with those job losses, six million. Uh, you think of the jobs that won't be created because we have so many of those imports coming from China right now. Uh, and, and you also think about, you know, there, there's a large number. I mean, more than, more than well over half of Americans, in fact, uh, I think it's something like 70 percent, uh, won't have a four, don't have a four-year college degree. Uh, and so we ha- and many of them start a, a four-year college. They, they, they pile up debt. They say, this isn't for me. And so there, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, and and the, the, the good news is that there is an answer to all of this. We can make policy changes. Uh, that would allow these manufacturing jobs uh, to to thrive in the United States. It's not a function solely of low wages that we're competing against Chinese low wages. There are things that we can do about it in trade policy, uh, in procurement. We can rebuild our country from within. We can invest in the skills of our workers. Uh, There's a lot of policy levers that we have uh, that have just gone unused over the last 15 years. Well, for people listening, oh, we are, 
Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back and I'll ask uh, more questions. But I want to take some calls and want to hear from you. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Scott Paul of the AAM. Also follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. And we will continue with your calls. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. And hey, during the break, check out the website for the AAM, AmericanManufacturing.org. Back after this. We, me, Leslie Marshall, and our guest, Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding, and uh, welcome back. Uh, So much uh, to talk about with regard um, to these issues. Um, Let's talk about jobs. Um, Right now, we're looking at voters who who are in really two extreme camps with regard to jobs, right? Who they feel is going to benefit them. Um, with jobs, job growth, bringing jobs back, perhaps uh, jobs, like you said, and Americans have plenty of knowledge of this, are being squeezed by uh, trade with China. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, the outsourcing these corporations have done to save a buck and make cheap goods overseas. And like you said, the Chinese manipulating the currency, it all plays into just a huge uh, squeezing sound, not sucking sound of uh, American jobs and sucking sound, I guess, as well. Uh, and the voters are looking uh, to extremes. That doesn't surprise you, I would imagine, um, looking at this situation. Um, but are either of those extremes an answer or solution to the problem that the American worker is facing and has been facing for the past 15 years? Yeah, Leslie, I, I think that that's the, that's the real rob of this is like you have to get beyond sound bites and, and think about what's going to work. So can we change our policy? Absolutely. Do we want to build walls up around the country? Probably not a good idea because we are in a global economy uh, and we benefit from having some raw materials and other things that we aren't able to do here uh, that, that go into our manufacturing processes. Uh, and we also benefit when we're able to sell things abroad. I think uh, what, what we need is balance, right, where we're exporting more and importing a little less uh, and and there are ways to do that through changing trade policy, uh, through uh, looking at monetary policy, certainly, as you mentioned, for, towards getting more aggressive against currency manipulation of other countries. Uh, there are things that I know that there's a lot of support from business and labor to do, like rebuilding our country. And, and think of all the, uh, the jobs it could create uh, if we rebuilt our water infrastructure to prevent uh, any more uh, horrible situations like that which we have seen in Flint, Michigan occur. Uh, we need to make our energy grid more efficient, uh, and, and we need to rebuild tens of thousands of bridges that are structurally deficient right now. And when you think of all the jobs that go into that, not only the construction but the materials that you need for that, you're going to create some manufacturing jobs. Uh, and we also need to invest in the skills of our workers. Uh, and I, I think you probably see this as well, that our, you know, our schools are built toward the test, test, test and the four-year college degree. But creating some pathway for vocational students rather than saying, oh, those aren't the kids that are going to college, let's, let's just kind of set them to the side here. But giving them some real workplace skills, uh, getting them on a pathway to apprenticeships, uh, there is a potential for, for them to secure uh, middle-class jobs. Uh, and, and we should invest in that type of education. So there's a lot that can be done. 
uh, and, and many of these policies require some public investment, uh, and that means spending tax dollars. Uh, so, it's, uh, so you have to be able to change the policies and also do the public investment. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know how to characterize uh, Donald Trump's policies other than being very uh, wildly inconsistent. Uh, some of them are quite scary. Uh, some of them haven't been boiled down other than a, uh, than, than a, than a soundbite. Uh, but, but I welcome a competition of ideas about how we can get all of this done, because I think it is possible, and uh, it would help rebuild the class, and I think it would be good, good for America. And I want to ask you, though, Scott, and, and this is about more than just a Trump or a Hillary or a Bernie. Um, and, I, and I say that because a president alone – doesn't create or sign, well, maybe sign, it doesn't create a good or bad trade deal. You have congressional members in the House and the Senate. And then you have people on the local level that can influence those people in Washington on Capitol Hill. Um, do, do we need to have more people showing up to vote and showing up to vote in more than just this this election in November every four years, those midterm elections and local elections as well? I think that the the evidence is pretty clear. Elections have consequences, and uh, if you elect a divided government, and in particular a a Congress that's not particularly interested uh, in doing its work uh, or investing in these kinds of programs, uh, that's going to have an impact. I, I actually think there's a lot of things that that uh, President Obama wanted to do in terms of like manufacturing technology, uh, in terms of investing in the workforce, and investing in infrastructure. And you're right, he was he was not able to accomplish that because because Congress said no, we're not gonna, we're not going to go for this. Uh, and so it absolutely does uh, have an impact. And so um, you know, I, I I'm hoping that uh, the voter interest. Uh, that we've seen in this election is is channeled and that people are going to take a close look at the policies uh, that the candidates put out uh, and and the candidates not only for president but also for senate and for house of representatives uh, and and think about what's going to help to rebuild our economy in a sustainable way that's going to grow wages for working people and are going to create more of these opportunities i think that's really important in this election cycle uh, Scott, last minute uh, goes to you and what you'd like to share with our listeners uh, in addition to all we've said in this hour. Yeah, I, I think what, one of the things that I, I want to get across is why, why is this important to people who don't live in factory towns? Because I imagine some of your listeners do, but many of them do not. And what we've seen, unfortunately, uh, is, is a great deal of anger, a, a sense of helplessness that in some places – has actually manifested itself in, in really insidious ways where you see, uh, you know, meth labs instead of factories. Uh, you see um, uh, opioid uh, abuse instead of, uh, in, instead of sitting down at the restaurant. Right. And it has impacts not only for wages and jobs, but for the very social fabric of the United States. And we'll leave it at that, Scott. Very well said. Scott and Paul, president of the AAM.